Would you all bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this night that we have. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this amazing little book that you've been taking us through, the book of Jonah. And Father, I pray that tonight as we turn to the last chapter now that you would begin, Father, to help us see where we are in this text if we haven't seen it yet. And Lord, would you have your way? I pray, Lord, that you'd help me preach in a way that would not get in the way of this passage for anybody that's listening, that you would enable everyone here in this room to learn and to hear. And Father, I pray that you would show us more of yourself in this text. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, I hope it wasn't something I said. I don't know why I look so small tonight. I don't know why. Man, there's just like this void right here in front of me behind Wayne and George, but that's all right. So we're in Jonah chapter 4 tonight. We only have two more weeks left in this wonderful little book. We have uh, tonight and then we have next week. Uh, following that, we'll head into Job next. That's um, the plan. That's a book that has been on my mind for a long time. And But we haven't met together for two weeks on Sunday nights, and it might be hard for us to remember where we were, but God accepted Nineveh's repentance at the short and terse preaching of his reluctant prophet Jonah. And he's decided, God has decided, not to destroy Nineveh. The message of this book never gets old. It can't get old. And to be honest, Jonah's punch is backloaded. It's the last chapter of Jonah that turns this book into something so powerful and relevant for us today. It began in chapter 1 with God's missional command. That's where we started. Since then we've looked at His merciful pursuit, His merciful rescue, His merciful sovereignty, His merciful salvation, His merciful forgiveness. And tonight, we come crashing into His merciful love for this wayward, self-righteous prophet and for us. And so tonight we finally... Uh, we finally get to see, for those of you that didn't already know or hadn't read ahead, why it really is or was that Jonah fled from God in his word in chapter 1. We usually hear, or we often hear, that the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he was afraid. He was afraid of the horrible Ninevites. As Jonah closes, all the truth in the book comes out. Hearts are finally revealed. Jonah's heart, which is bitter and far from God, God's heart, which is full of merciful love for sinners and our own hearts. So let's take one step back just to get it back into our heads at the end of chapter 3, and then we'll read on tonight eventually all the way to verse 4 of chapter 4. Let me begin at 3.10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Just let that sink in for a minute. God relented of the disaster he was going to do to Nineveh, and Jonah is furious. Once again, his response to God's word and God's actions are less than expected. Verse 1 is his response to Nineveh's repentance and to the fact that it becomes apparent because of it, God is not going to destroy the awful city of Nineveh. What's interesting is the verse literally translates in Hebrew. I don't know why they don't 
keep it that way sometimes, but, but it literally translates, it, 3.10, what happened in 3.10, was exceedingly evil to Jonah. It became to evil, it became to Jonah a great exceeding evil, is what it says. This is probably one of the, the only prophet or preacher in history to see God's word heated on that massive of a scale and then say, oh, great. So everybody repented. Now God isn't going to burn up the whole city. That's just great. This is the only guy I know of that responded this way. Jonah, just mark this in your heart right now as, as we listen. Jonah actually called God's response to Nineveh exceedingly evil. That, that, when it just says it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry, it's not capturing the full breadth of the Hebrew here. Jonah believed that what God did by not destroying Nineveh was evil. So, alright, enough. What is really going on in, the, in, in this man's heart? Look at verses 2 and 3. Okay, Here it is. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? We didn't know this till chapter 4. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. That, in Jonah chapter 4, is unbelievable. So now we know, we've heard it from the mouth of the prophet himself. Jonah was not really afraid he would die. He was not really afraid he would fail. Jonah was afraid that he would succeed. And that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Now we know why he never repented. Now we know why he felt totally justified in fleeing from God's word. He has a massive problem with God. God is evil in Jonah's eyes because he has been merciful to Nineveh. Can you see him? Remember, he's praying. So imagine him stomping his feet, throwing things. I told you, this is why I didn't want to come here. I knew this is what you would do. I knew this is what would happen. I knew if your word came to these people, I knew they were going to say sorry. I knew they were going to repent. And then I knew you weren't going to burn them alive. That's exactly why I didn't want to come here. Just imagine that. Imagine that. This is insane. For some reason... Jonah was sure that God was the opposite of his saving nature. So it didn't matter what Jonah knew about God. Jonah didn't know God. He was hoping he was being sent as an instrument of judgment, not an instrument of salvation. But let's make sure we don't judge Jonah so harshly just yet. I think so much of our attitude towards sinners reveals that this is what we wish we were instruments of judgment we've talked about that so much how if we're honest there's times where we just can't wait for people to get theirs right when they insult when they revile we just we just we just say you're going to get it one day you're going to get it you're going to find out you're going to be sorry you said that you're going to be sorry you live like that beloved what we desire god to be is usually more important to us than what we know God to be. Jonah thought what he wanted to think, in spite of what he knew as a prophet of God. His desire to see Nineveh judged overrode his knowledge about God. 
And beloved, Jonah is a book about you and I. It's about us when you get right down to it. It's so we can see our hearts. That's why it's there. And discover. We, we need to find out as we go through Jonah. Do I have a heart like God for people or do I have a heart like Jonah for people? We've got to understand something when you see this. We, we think, we honestly think that if people have the right information, if we just give people the right knowledge, they will lead the right kind of lives. Wrong. That's wrong. Look at this. This is a prophet of God. He was a successful prophet. People might behave better if you give them the right knowledge, but that's not what Christianity is ultimately about. It's not the goal. Beloved, when you hear Jonah say that, that that I knew how you were, and so I knew this is what was going to happen, we've got to understand that We are driven ultimately by desire. We are not driven first before God by knowledge. What we know does not always actually affect us. We are driven often and are bent towards God by what we desire Him to do or what we desire Him to be. And it doesn't matter deep down inside if we know that's contrary to His nature. Our main problem is in our hearts before it's ever in our behavior doesn't matter what we know about God. We won't ever truly know God until our hearts desire the God who actually is more than they desire the God that we wish was. Satan has all kinds of knowledge about God. The Pharisees had all kinds of knowledge about God. Jonah had plenty of knowledge about God, yet all of the ones I mentioned behaved to the contrary of their knowledge about God. Because we live out of our hearts. And if our hearts aren't moved by the merciful love, the missional heart we'll see in the last part next week, we will not worship the God who truly is for who He truly is. Beloved, realize what's happening here. Right theology, He's right about God, He's correct, has conspired with His evil heart, His self-righteous, self-centered heart, and it has led to evil, blasphemous, behavior. How does that happen? How does right theology lead to open mouth blasphemy? Because that's what this is. Can you imagine the gall it would take to say this to God? It's unbelievable. Jesus came to save us, not just correct our actions, beloved. We don't need assistance. By God, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. Do not be deceived into thinking that because we know stuff about God, we know stuff in the Bible, that that means automatically we are close to the heart of God. Or that we even know God. And churches are, are, churches are usually filled with Bible studies. Just, just constant study of the Bible, which is fine. But why aren't they so often then automatically filled with people that truly love sinners? Something is off. Something is off, if that's the case. Does the gospel, that message, does it get redundant to you? Do you ever find yourself thinking, we just need to move on from all this incessant talk about God's mercy and His mission to the real stuff about God, which for us is always wrath. You know, Give me more wrath. Talk more about wrath. Okay, we can. 
It's there. It's true. It's going to happen. It is happening. That's the funny thing. Romans 1 says the wrath of God is revealed as we speak right now. But do you... The fact that God is on mission to save out of love and mercy is so central to God's character that if you don't know that about Him, that primarily He's a Savior, that, that, that's, that we, we don't know Him. What is going on in our hearts? Could you imagine if you treated your spouse with this kind of mindset? Just imagine that. Your spouse says to you, I love you so much. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And you respond with, uh, duh, we got married. I know already that we love each other. You don't have to say it all the time, right? Could you imagine? Like, yeah, I got it. I said I do. Why don't you leave me alone? Tony, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus. I know I can't do it on my own. I know He loves sinners. I know we're supposed to be on mission for people, but come on, give me something I can use here. (laughs) No. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16. Now why? Why does Paul say things like that? Why is he always trying to stir people up by way of reminder? Why does he say we preach Christ crucified? Or I determine to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why does he talk that way? Why is he eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome, in Rome, in Romans 1? They're already Christians. Doesn't he have something new to bring to them? It's Paul. Why always the gospel? Because the gospel is the heartbeat that keeps us alive. The gospel is how we filter all the information in the Bible. It's the main thing we're supposed to know. Beloved, it's what shapes us and defines us. It's how we address everything. God's grace, His actions towards this wicked city, because that's what it was. That drives the bus of Jonah. Who God reveals Himself to be in Jonah, how He makes Himself known throughout Scripture, is primarily as a Redeemer, as a Savior. The stuff Jonah knew about God didn't move his heart because it was the very fact that God was primarily a missional, merciful Redeemer that made Jonah so angry. All along, Jonah has had other desires for God. All this time. He knew stuff. He, he, didn't, he didn't know God as God really was. He, he was resentful of what God really was. God's mercy was a burden to Jonah. It was a burden to him. If, if the gospel, and, and I know Jonah was not aware of the, the gospel in the form that we have it. I understand that. But if it, let's say it this way then. If, if the amazing mercy of God isn't constantly informing us, constantly landing on us, if His merciful love isn't always before our eyes and embedded deeper than anything else in our hearts, we will get cold and annoyed and frustrated with sinners. So much so that eventually we'll be like Jonah towards Moundsville. We'll sneer at people that can't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. We'll sneer at them. They'll become a burden to us. Sinners will become so disgusting to us that we won't be able to go after them. And if God saves them, we'll be skeptical. We'll be skeptical. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be that way towards the world. 
And the unfortunate thing is, is the more you know, the worse that is because we might not have any clue that there's a problem within us because we have this nice, tight theological system we claim to believe. So yeah, I know this about God and I know that about God and I believe this about God and I believe the Bible and all. And, and you, you could, you can, all that can be true. And you can actually deep down inside be extremely resentful of this merciful God. That's all in the cards. And what if, if we live pretty decent lives, if we've memorized a whole mess of scripture, remember, don't ever forget, those were the kind of people, the moral religious zealots, that nobody thinks they ever are. The Pharisees are always anybody other than us. It's like we we think like they existed back then. They don't exist anymore. Oh, they still exist. They're still there. They're everywhere. They were the ones that just couldn't stomach Jesus. Why, Why would we think we're above them? We don't know the Bible like those men did. They couldn't stand Jesus. They couldn't stand him. They hated him. They found him absolutely reprehensible and blasphemous. Do you see that Jonah is a nice foreshadowing of the Pharisees' whole attitude about Jesus? They wanted to kill him. And and when it came right down to it, do you remember when Judas threw that money back? I've betrayed innocent blood. Do you remember what those men said? Yeah, we don't care. That's on you. We're killing him. We hate him. Those, the, the, I can't remember the exact quote, but please don't ever forget, beloved, it was not the tax collectors and the sinners and the horrible ones on the outside that crucified Jesus. He was murdered by the well-scrubbed hands of deeply religious people. They always wanted more. They always wanted different. They always expected God to be different than what they knew He really was. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. That's what Jesus said of that generation. And they missed the day of their visitation. They strained out gnats and swallowed camels. We need the mercy of this God to thrill us every single day. We need constantly reshaped, constantly reformed by this gospel. And our natural tendency is to drift from it, not to it. We were... We were meant to be continually brought back to the cross or we won't have life. We, we won't have God's heartbeat. We, that's, that's God in human flesh before us on the cross. That, that's, that when God wanted to make Himself known and most accessible and most you know able to understand Him, He became a human who died for sinners. That's the perfect revelation of God, dying for sinners. Why didn't he come and just wipe everybody out and start a new thing? Because at his core, he is what you see in Jesus. The exact representation of God is the Son. Christianity is not spiritual Prozac for the world. It's not a sacrificial or a sanctified self-help system. It's, it's pure rescue Again, like we talked about this morning, this is all passing away. And everything has to be defined in light of what Jesus has brought to bear on reality. That's why you get those insane statements from Paul, like, this is one we never talk about. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, So let the one who has a wife live as though he has none. What? What does that mean? I I can't preach it because it's a different text. 
But what does that statement mean? Why, why did he say that? Well, because at the end of the day, marriage is not the priority. The Titanic is sinking. It's sinking and everybody is flailing in ice cold water and they're going to die by drowning or hypothermia if we don't get to them. There are priorities for the body of Christ. What matters most trumps things that just matter. We need Jesus. We need, we need Jesus. Well, you know, we already have Him. We, we already know this stuff. Yeah, me too. But if it isn't moving us to the point that we're actually able to rest in it and love people like we've been loved, to forgive like we've been forgiven, to be merciful as God has been merciful to us, what is it that we actually think we know? How could Jonah be bitter about God's mercy? How do we ever get to the point where we begrudge someone else's rescue? Beloved, I think sometimes we are motivated by our desire What we want the most is a nice, clean little world. And if you start letting all the sinners in, they're just going to drive the property values down. Nineveh was a threat to Israel's dreams for itself in the world. They can't get let in. They can't get saved. They can't can't have mercy shown to them. It's what Jonah knew that made Jonah so angry. He hated who God was. It was the pagans, it was those that without knowledge that in three nine said, who knows, who knows what God will do. We're just going to bank on the fact that maybe He'll be merciful to us. They saw their need. They knew it. It's the Israelite prophet, the one who would be presumably the closest to God and the most aware of the truth that refuses to repent, to, to repent and refuses to respond correctly. He wanted something different from God than who God actually was. Look at verse 4 now. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? That verse 4 might be the most amazing moment in the book. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jonah relished it. And yet God is still compassionate to him. To this wicked, stubborn, self-righteous little man. What God is saying is, are you sure, Jonah, that you have judged this situation correctly? Do you really think this is the best response right now for you to be angry at the fact that I've decided to spare the Ninevites? Beloved, that is mercy. Like, that's mercy on an immeasurable scale. You ever hear somebody say something and you think, oh my gosh, they're going to get struck dead by lightning. Like it's so blasphemous and horrible. Like where's the lightning here? Where's the lightning? We, we, when people say things that are so blasphemous, we, we like in our heart, in our minds or even maybe physically step back and say, oh, you don't know what you're saying. Jonah knew what he was saying. Jonah's right in God's face. Yeah, I, I, I knew this is what you were going to... I knew you were going to pull this nonsense, this mercy thing. And yet his response is, are you sure you're thinking correctly here? God loves this man. God loves this man. 
Jonah can't stand God right now. But God loves him. God loves him. When it turns out that God doesn't fit with who Jonah wanted him to be, that he won't go into the box Jonah has built for him, Jonah bails. He's hurt. He's crushed. He's infuriated. He can say the mantra better than anybody from Exodus 34 about God's covenantal love. Jonah could celebrate his own deliverance back in chapter 2. Remember, he could celebrate his own deliverance. He is not going to be celebrating Nineveh's deliverance. You notice that. Jonah does not see that he is in as much need for rescue from God as the Ninevites to whom he was sent. And that's the heartbeat of the whole book of Jonah. It's made his heart black. It's tainted his entire relationship with God. Jonah does not realize that what he needs is mercy. We need a heart transplant if we're going to ache for the nations like God does. Because we've been sent to them. Just like Jonah was sent to Nineveh. Do we realize how much danger we are in of having a heart like Jonah's? Jonah knew salvation belonged to the Lord. He said it. But he had no clue how badly he needed it. Right? But what was his first, the first thing out of his mouth when the sailors questioned him is, oh yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I'm good. I don't, I, I don't need God like those sailors needed him. He doesn't need God in the same way those Ninevites needed him. He was a little more enlightened. His nation was much better. Those are the kinds of, that's the kind of thinking that makes you like Jonah. When it turned out that God wasn't who Jonah wanted him to be, Jonah didn't know who he was. His identity was anchored in being a Hebrew and a prophet, but it was not anchored in God. And if Ninevites get shown mercy, what is going to separate Jonah from the Ninevites? You, you see that. What about all the skin that Jonah has in the game? Right? I've worked for you for a long time, God, and you, you pulled this? I now deserve the mercy I get. I deserve, I've worked very hard for you. I, I deserved to be rescued through that whale. Not these people. Not these people. How can they get mercy so easily? They've never done anything to deserve. They spit in your face. They worship a ton of gods. They don't even know your name. How can you do this? The fear of losing his unique identity. Beloved, the fear of Jonah losing his unique identity. What if these rotten Gentiles get brought in to the covenant people of God? His fear of losing his unique identity has caused him to idolize his pedigree. Listen, American church. Listen to that. Jonah had a heart for his own identity and how God could exalt that. He didn't have a heart for God. I mean, he's just, again, he's just such a glaring foreshadow of the Pharisees that were going to get so angry and enraged at Jesus that they would crucify him. I, I think next Sunday, so, so in two weeks on Sunday mornings we'll go, we'll start in First and Second Peter and Jude. That'll be the next part. But what I'll try to do in between those, those series through books is do like an oasis sermon in between. And I think next week 
It's, it's either John 7 and 8 or Luke 15. I'm not sure yet. But Luke 15 is huge in the Bible. It's huge. And it's very helpful for understanding the heart of Jonah. There's so much of that older brother in Jonah. There's so much of the Pharisees in Jonah. Why are you showing mercy? What's, what's going on here? Why, why, why are you loving? Why are you saving? Luke, the parable of the prodigal son has a context. And the context is huge. Why, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners? Why, is, why this party? We deserve God's presence. We're over here. Why, if you're from God, why are you with them? Get prepared to hear that again next Sunday morning. But we, we deserve God's presence. We have to kill this man. We have to kill this man. I don't think it mattered at the end of the day whether or not they knew he was God. They were going to kill him anyway. If, 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 if we think that, that they would never, oh, yes, we would. Yes, we would. I, do, you ever wonder at the vitriol of atheists? Why are they so angry? They know God is there. They hate Him. That's precisely how Jonah is thinking here. I mean, so much so that he calls God's actions evil. Right? To Jonah, it cheapened God's mercy that he offered it to everybody. Yeah, it's only for Israel. That's only for the winners. You know, saving Nineveh, that's like handing out participation trophies. Oh, everybody gets one? Right? Why, why does that make us mad? Like, yeah, I, I know, but I mean, it's, it's okay. We just, we're, we just think, we just deep down inside have this belief about ourselves and our effort that like there's no quarter. Don't you give that kid in T-ball a participation trophy. It's going to ruin his life. No, it is. He's just a kid. My goodness. We're just so mad. We're so mad. We're so mad at the world. And apparently only people like Jonah should get mercy. Jonah has forgotten that he never deserved the mercy he got. Do we, do we understand how important that is? We can't see God correctly without that burning in our hearts all the time. That we need and have received infinite, undeserved mercy. Even immediately, all through this book, it has been pure mercy and grace for Jonah. He's still alive. And he had literally just spit in God's face. Again, where's the lightning here? How is this man not disintegrated? But this, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. This is the nature of the gospel itself. That's what makes it so amazing. So much so that it should never get old. The only way we will see our need for His mercy is if we know who we are and who He is. And we need to know ourselves as sinful and in desperate need. We, we, we don't ever want to move beyond that. We're hopeless without Him. Hopeless without Him. doesn't matter what we've accomplished. It's, it's all filthy rags. Like, that doesn't go away. And we need to know Him before anything else as a rescuer, as a Savior, full of mercy, on mission. Or we might not know Him and it's going to catch up with us. Sometimes, as Jesus teaches in Matthew 20, under the heat of the sun of this world, the servants who worked longer but got paid the same as the ones who just started forget that they were blessed to even get hired at all. Jonah was 
doing the right thing. He had obeyed God's command to go, right? But his, his heart is far from God. So I mean, Jonah's just screaming that to us, like, you can obey. That, that Really, that doesn't mean anything. And as Jonah shows so clearly, when we do right things with the wrong heart, what it proves is not something about our effort or our will. It proves we don't know God like we think we do. Do we think Jesus came so that we could memorize some stuff, make sure we don't see bad movies, make sure we say under God in the pledge like that was the goal? We needed Him because we're Jonah. That's why we needed Him. We all tend this way. That's why this is in the Bible. We are by nature wicked and we have no idea what we need. And God tries to tell us again and again and again. And we keep trying to get skin in the game and work for it. God came to save Ninevites. Which Israel didn't know that's what they were, but they were. And He's come to save Jonah's. Jonah is so hopelessly flawed. He's, he's not mad at God for being merciful to him. Right? He's, he's mad at God for being merciful to Nineveh. Until he gets that God's love for him is just as outrageous as it is for the Ninevites, he won't ever be able to know how much God really loves him. And I think Jonah came to know that because I think Jonah wrote this book. I think he came to his senses later. Jonah's record, his race, his religious pedigree do not mean God's love for him makes sense while God's love for the Ninevites doesn't. Beloved, God's love for sinners doesn't ever make sense. Ever. Like, I, it just... Nothing could be more arrogant than us trying to figure out who we think deserves God's love and who doesn't. George and I, George Ramsey and I talked a little tiny bit about this on Facebook. That, and I think I've, I've maybe referenced it in here once before, but that phrase, well, you know, love the sin, hate the sinner. Or love, what is it? Love the sinner, hate the sin. I typed it backwards. Yeah. Love the sinner, hate the sin. But I think we're, well, I think, I don't think we're being honest when we say that. I think we're, we're, we're trying to claim that there's love present when there's nothing but like animosity present and disgust and anger and maybe hatred. Until we truly understand that we shouldn't be loved either, we're not going to understand just how deep and beautiful God's love really is. He shouldn't love us. We were His enemies. We were His enemies. That's, that's the Bible. Like You and I weren't conceived a little bit better off than like a barbarian person over in the Middle East or Africa. Like we, No, no, no. We, we don't know. Spiritually speaking, it is a level playing field. We are all born dead in trespasses and sins, in love with the world. It is only a matter of time before that nature manifests itself in behavior. And beloved, being close to good teaching and being raised in a good environment guarantees nothing. That's Jonah. Nothing. 
And it's just, it's, you, you can't, we, beloved, we can't look at people and expect them to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. We don't have bootstraps. Like, that's not what, that's not how you got saved. Well, you know, I, I, I did the right thing. You, you did the right thing because God raised you from the dead. That, that's, that's why you made the right choice. I mean, that's, that's the Bible. That, that's, it, it, the natural person in 1 Corinthians 2 cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. So it's not like there's people out there that when you say it, they're just, they're a little better off, they're a little more enlightened, they'll respond well. The natural person, the person apart from the living Word of God giving them life, will understand nothing. They'll reject it, they'll rebel against it. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what their upbringing is. Jonah had it all. And Jonah blasphemed like a maniac to God's face. Like he knew that's who he was talking to. These prophets had this kind of audience with God. And with that audience, Jonah talked like this. He shouldn't love us. Like the, the math, that, that's the beauty of Christianity. It's just, it's just bad math. Like you and I, you and I will reap what Jesus has sown. That's the gospel. Until the gospel is, is the source of my breath, I'm in danger of missing God completely. God didn't wipe Jonah off the face of the earth when he said, I'm not going. He didn't wipe Jonah off the face of the earth when he said, I can't believe how evil you are for giving these wicked people. It's all grace, all through the book, even for Jonah. Beloved, I, I, I think what we, maybe, maybe, what we really grasp about salvation and who it's for and how it happens is displayed best, not by what we, what we say, but by our attitude towards other sinners. And I know that that can be a heavy burden when it hits home. You know, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not being patronizing here at all. It is really hard when you realize by the Holy Spirit of God, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Maybe my heart's not as clear as I think it is. That's not an easy thing. So that's, that's who I'm talking to tonight. Because... I want you, even you, I want that the most self-righteous Pharisee in the room, which we all have to assume it's us. I have to assume it's me, or I'm one of them. <laughs> Look to Christ. Lean into Jesus tonight. Lean into Him tonight. You think He doesn't know how we are? And He, he knew it all when He hung six hours for me. Because of the sufficiency and the perfection and the perfect heart towards God of Jesus, God forgives us even for our lack of mercy. It's amazing. He's filled with merciful love. Not a love, again, the love of... We're not... The love of God doesn't ignore our sin. That's what makes it so great. It knows full well what it's getting itself into. It's still there. It's still there. It, it, such is the power of what Christ has accomplished for us at the cross. So, no matter how heavy the burden is, when you consider 
that maybe we're more like Jonah than we care to admit, you take that and you run to the cross with it. And it is forgiven. Beloved, it's gone. He loves you. He, 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 well, I'm not going to preach next week's sermon, but he loves you. He loves you. Let's go to him and rest. He can handle it. He can handle you and me. I'm going to close in prayer here. I think June's going to come and play a last song of invitation. I'll be down at the front here for just a few moments. If any of you need to come and pray, whether it's about your relationship with the Lord or maybe, you know, maybe when you hear about this amazing mercy God has and you know who you are and you think there's no way that that could be true for me. Oh, it's true for you. It's true for you. It's true for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the perfection of your son for us. I just, I just pray for myself and my, my family here, Lord. I, I pray that we would understand how much we need you. I just pray that that would hit home. Not in a way that crushes us, Lord. I don't want anybody to leave here tonight feeling unnecessary guilt because of my words. I, I, Father, I want us together to be amazed at who Jesus is and what he has done. And so I pray that for us, for everybody in the room, young and old. I pray and ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.